Good morning. I was warmly greeted by uh, Dr. Shepard this morning, who noted, Dave, you come to speak in chapel today. I heard you were speaking, and I came anyway. (laughs) Words of encouragement to start off with. Reconciliation of the nations. Uh, That was the theme of our missions chapel, community chapel, last week, Tuesday. And I want to return to it, but from a little bit different angle than we took last week. Our first week of community chapels, Dr. Shepard spoke on reconciliation with God. And in terms of the nations, I get that. I understand God's heart for the nations and his desire to see all men reconciled to himself. The next week, Dr. McRae spoke on reconciliation with humanity. And that's where, in terms of the nations, I'm a little bit more confused. How does that play out among the nations? Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 says this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a wonderful picture, a a glimpse into a future reality, at least for those of us who are still here on earth. As I think about that picture, I'm reminded of the words that Jesus taught us to pray. As a disciple, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how should I be working toward or living in light of that reality of every tribe, tongue, and nation together, worshiping God here and now? A couple of statements that have come my way over the last number of years have caused me to wrestle with this idea a little bit more. And if you'll let me, I'll just wrestle out loud with you this morning. The first was from one of Martin Luther King's speeches, where he noted that the greatest segregation in America is evidenced in our church's 11 a.m. Sunday morning. We've worked towards integrating our schools, our workplace, our communities. What about our churches? Does the reconciliation of the nations not reflect itself in the church. I did my graduate work at CIU in Columbia, South Carolina. And I can remember going down for a visit to the school the year before I attended there. And one of my former professors here from Tyndale and a colleague missionary had noted to us that um, he said, Dave, when you come down here, you'll be hard pressed to find an integrated church. In fact, he was a man who was born in Zimbabwe and had done missionary service in Zambia and the southern parts of Africa. And he said, as I've lived here in South Carolina, I would venture to say that the racism is stronger and more ingrained than it is even in South Africa. And that was back in the 80s during apartheid rule. The second comment that was made in my hearing was really a query. Someone asked the question, and this was during our time of serving in Africa, would the Rwandan genocide have happened to the extent that it did 
in light of the church's participation alongside of everyone else. If we as missionaries and church planters had not bought into Donald McGovern's homogeneous unit church growth model. For those of you who aren't familiar with Donald McGovern, he uh, was a third generation missionary kid from India, and he had simply noted as he lived in that land that people join churches whose members look, talk, and act like themselves, out of which an entire strategy was developed and continues to be, develop- and continues to be implemented to this very day. We certainly found this to be true in our time in Zambia, where in many respects it was denomination by tribe. When people would ask us what church partner we were working with, and we said the evangelical church in Zambia, they'd automatically say, oh, that's the Conde Church. And if you went to southern province, the Brethren in Christ were the Tonga Church. And in eastern province, the Anglicans were the Nyanja Church. And in northern province, the uh, Catholics were the Bemba Church. And in Northwest, the Brethren were the Lunda Church. And we found tribalism to be alive and well, and in many ways reinforced by the very nature and distribution of the Church. I can remember with our own home group of churches, as we suggested that we reach out to a neighboring, unreached tribe. And the Church leaders responded to us, but that group of people are a bunch of lazy drunken thieves. In other words, they're probably beyond the reach of God's grace anyway, and why would we want them in our church? I think on a side note, one of the happy stories to end some of this dismal picture that I'm I'm portraying is our own home church, that of their own accord as they were growing in their faith, decided to actually use and choose to use the language of that unreached tribe as their language in their services rather than their mother tongue so that that people would feel welcome. And that local church has grown to the second largest church in the entire province now. As I sat around our national executive table in Zambia with church and mission leaders, we would meet three or four times a year together. And we wrestled with the um, idea of what does a mature church look like? What are the marks of a mature church? How, how we recognize it uh, when it actually shows up? Sense of progress and when will our job be done? One of my Zambian church leader colleagues said, well, the church in Zambia will be mature when every leader sitting around this table is black. And I responded out loud to him, Would all black automatically mean maturity? And how would all black bear witness to our reconciliation as nations? There's a number of churches that have been well-established along the Angolan border inside of Zambia, and we worked with these churches. They were made up of Angolan refugees. Angola underwent a civil war for more than 30 years. So these were churches that were established for decade after decade after decade and been present there. In the wake of the peace that's reached Angola, many of those peoples have been repatriated to their home country. Those churches now are empty. They're empty. A long-time presence, but with little, if any, lasting impact on the communities and peoples uh, in which they found themselves.
As we returned here to Canada a number of years ago, we became aware of a movement in our cities across the nation toward intentionally intercultural churches. It was an idea that grabbed my attention, and I begun to look into a little bit of what they're doing. There's one church, at least one congregation that I know of in the city here, with over 50 different ethnicities represented within their people as they gather and worship together each week. I want to be careful not to simply replace one model or strategy devised by man for another. But I do wonder if our inviting folk to join a church where the members look, talk, and act like themselves isn't an invitation to find comfort, security, and belonging in community rather than in Christ. And in the end, does it not work in tension to their owning Christ's commission to go and disciple the nations? Galatians 3.26 reads this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is therefore neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. We have all been made one in Christ. We are effectively reconciled together. How do we live that out? How does our worship and life together testify to this truth? Let's pray together. Father God, for your grace displayed in Christ Jesus, who died on the cross in our stead. For your love that through Christ was reconciling us to yourself, we give you thanks. We're overwhelmed by it, Father. We can't. We can't express with words, even with groanings in our hearts, how much we love you and appreciate what you've done for us. And Father, we know that love extends to all peoples and all nations. And we know that you are building your church. You're you're building a people for yourself, a bride that, that one day will be presented in her fullness And together with every tribe and tongue and nation and people, we will, with one voice, ascribe glory and praise to you. Father, teach us what it means to live that reality out in the present. To know your kingdom and your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Challenge each of us, Father, out of our places of comfort and security where it doesn't lie in you. Give us wisdom and discernment, Father, to know how to invite others into that kingdom, a kingdom that loves all peoples as you love them, a kingdom that testifies to your grace and your power to overcome our differences and to unite us as one in Christ. Help us, Father, as we wrestle with these things, that we would lay our will and our strategies and our ideas before your throne to know your mind and give us the courage to obey and follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go, wherever you go, disciple the nations. Lord bless you.